Welcome to the Mike Hewitt Show, 11 years and growing. It's about family, business, work, and politics like you've never heard it before. Yep, it's true. There's more than just a touch of wry humor mixed in. And now your host, Mike Hewitt. Folks, I am Mike Hewitt, co-host, surprise co-host, Richard Housecamp. Welcome to the Mike Hewitt Show. Hey, thank you, Michael. Listen, it's great to have you on, and one of the things that, what makes me excited about this episode, folks, is Richard, you're a longtime Republican. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. But you don't always move with the majority pack of the Republican Party. Is that a fair statement? That's an even fairer statement. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I sent you the show show preppy, as we call it, show notes. I want to dive into this. I want to get your take on some of the stuff, and let's just have some fun with it. First on my list today, folks, Illinois judge removes Trump from state ballot, citing insurrectionist ban. Uh, Richard, let me tell you my view of it briefly, and then I want to get your take on it. The first thing is, is listen, I'm, I'm a passionate believer in due process. So to the folks that are listening that are Democrats, whether you're centrist or moderate or friend, I don't care. First, thank you for listening to the show. There used to be a time when most Americans, regardless of partisanship, passionately embraced due process. And I understand that there's been some charges against former President Trump regarding his actions on January 6th. None of the charges actually use the word insurrection, but that aside, he hasn't been found guilty of anything. So that's part one of my position. Part two is a little bit different. What he's being barred from, I believe in four states now, is not being on the election ballot. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about barring him from being on the party nomination ballot. And as a longtime party volunteer, party leader, whatever you want to put titles on me, however you want to paint who I am on that, I've been directly involved with the Republican Party for decades. It is a pseudo, a a quasi-private organization. And in fact, the judiciary rarely makes a decision when there's been a question over leadership. Even recently in the Michigan State Republican Party, the judge that made a ruling ruled on the process and not the leadership. I tell you that part, folks, because for a judge or for a state government to deny Republican voters all of the choices that they should be afforded to, again, if he were found guilty of insurrection, I could sit back and say, all right, I I, I get the Constitution amendment, the, the constitutional amendment you're citing. I understand why you would prohibit him from the November ballot if he were found guilty. But to do that on a party nomination ballot, Richard, what's your view on that topic? I read the article, Mike, and, and, I've, and I've looked at it in a couple different lights here. But to me, it seems like there's an Illinois judge who simply wants to make a political statement and be an activist. And I don't know that he's actually following the law. He, He's simply deciding he doesn't want uh, the former president to be on the ballot. I think he's uh, made a bad choice. I, listen, I, I agree with that. I got to tell you, what I think is important for all the different political opinions that listen 
to the show is let me explain myself and hope that more people embrace what I say than not. I am a partisan. Make no make no dispute over who Mike Hewitt is. I'm a long time go back to before Ronald Reagan Republican. I'm not shy about it, as you might be able to tell if you listen to the show. I am not shy about who I am. Ideologically, I'm a classical liberal. My closest political cousin is very, very conservative. That's who I am. But I'm also intellectually honest. When I look at the judiciary, folks that have listened to the show, I say again, I have often referred to our judiciary as our single most broken branch of government. And the reason is, first off, it's steeped in classism. And I passionately reject the concepts of old European classism. That's part one. But part two is, is I don't care if you're a conservative judge or a liberal judge or somewhere else on the political spectrum. We shouldn't know what your party politics is. We shouldn't know what your ideologies are because you should be making judgments based on the rule of law and what the Constitution says. Nothing else should enter your your purview of judgment. Richard, am I overstating my view of a judge making even if I agreed with it ideologically, it's wrong if it's not solely based on the law and the Constitution. Am I wrong when I say that? No, Mike, I think you're right when you say that. And, and I'd go one step further. Uh, this, this particular judge made a, an obviously partisan decision against, um, against Donald Trump. But, but he's also establishing a precedent. So I would ask the question, what happens in Chicago next time when... Uh, when there are uh, uh, two Democratic candidates in the mayor's race and someone decides that they don't want one to be on the ballot. Um, this judge is opening up a, a, a nasty can of worms. He is, but that won't happen. But I have to tell you, and, I, and, and let me preface it by saying, I'm not trying to be sensational when I say this next statement, but when I watch what the left is doing in these states, the four states particularly, but there are also a number of municipal ballots that Trump will be on. And by the way, folks, let's be honest about this. I, I'm going to probably vote for Trump in the November election if he's on the ballot. But I'm not one of those wall-to-wall Trump all-the-way guys. I'm, that's not, and I'm not against him. I'm just not ringing the bell yet. But, but I, but I got to tell you, when I look at what the left has done with these ballots— it reeks of Soviet justice, not American justice. This is very, very fringe left, not leftist, not the progressive or the, the, the JFK Democrats that I often cite. It's not those folks where we disagree on policy, but we love America and we support our Constitution. That's not who we're talking about that made these decisions. We're talking about fringe crazy far leftists that reject the constitution reject the precepts of what americanism means they're very much soviet driven this is this is absolutely trotskyism is what it is we're down to two minutes richard but but tell me what do you think when i am i being am i being too sensational when i use that term soviet no, no, I think you're not being too sensational. I think that's the road how we get to become the Soviets. Um, 
the judge you're referencing, though, Tracy Porter, is a, is a circuit court judge in Cook County. Yep. Um, so, so it's a bastion of, of these kind of, uh, of typically anti-constitutional, non-judicial decisions that are being made by judges. Uh, Cook County has a, has a record of that. So this isn't anything new. I, but listen, when I look at Biden, I don't think the man is competent, and I'm not attacking him. Just folks, I'm, I'm not. I don't think he's mentally competent, but it would have never occurred to me to try to strike him from the Democrats' nominating ballot. That would have never entered my mind. It just wouldn't have. I wouldn't have said the guy's incompetent. You guys must not put him on your ballot. That, that to me, is mind-numbing that they think that that's appropriate. In fact, I watched them on X-Files, as I affectionately now refer to the whatever you call X, and they're going crazy, the progressive far fringe left, extreme left. They're going crazy because the Supreme Court has taken up this case about whether Trump has immunity or not. And I think, wait a minute, you folks don't want justice? Well, I, it's, I, I don't understand a state of mind that does not want the 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 judiciary to exist. And in fact, they're stacking it. I use the term loosely. They're demanding that from now on, uh, actions be taken to stack the Supreme Court so that this doesn't happen again. I said, this doesn't happen. You mean justice? Oh, my goodness, folks. Listen, stay with us. We've got a lot more to go, and we will be right back. Richard Housecamp, I got to tell you, before we jump into this, it's really great having you on this show. I appreciate you joining us. And uh, folks, just so you a little background, Richard's dear friend, we talk about this politics stuff constantly. So your first time on the show, but it's more like we're sitting in one of our living rooms shooting the breeze, and I'm enjoying it. Thank you. Well, thanks for inviting me, Mike. I'm having a good time with you as always. Uh, yeah, now now listen, let's go down a different path. McConnell will step down as the Senate Republican leader in November after a record run on the job. I, I first off, let's let's do the easy lifting first. What's your view of the idea of McConnell stepping down? I think I think Mitch McConnell is stepping down with his idea that it's uh, that it's going to serve the Senate in in the long run. I, I I view Mitch McConnell as one of the consummate deal makers in the United States Senate. I think he's done a, uh, I think that's been his role, and uh, I think he just sees a changing of the garden. I, I think you're right, but I would I would also add, and for folks, I have no, no inside information, but I've been watching this stuff very closely for a long time. I also believe that, that uh, Senator McConnell is having some pretty significant health issues, and I think that's part of what drives this. But what I really wanted to talk about with the idea of McConnell stepping down is both sides of the divide in America now want their own way, period. And this really goes to what you just said, Richard, because McConnell, some on the right will say he's a he's an establishment hack, he's got to go. And and when I hear them say that, I think a couple things. First off, like I talked, like I'd mentioned to you at a, during our break, I'm from the era of Ronald Reagan, who every week sat down with Tip O'Neill, 
a Democrat. Every week, they'd go have a cocktail, they'd go have dinner together, and we don't agree on all of this stuff, but what can we agree to to move the country forward? I don't think that McConnell rose to the intellectual level as Tip O'Neill, to be candid with you, and Tip O'Neill was a Democrat. I didn't agree with him a lot, but he was a very smart guy. He was smart enough to know that it's a good idea to go meet with Reagan once a week. I think that's a big deal, and I think the United States as a country, as a people, need to get back to having conversations with each other rather than shouting each other and F-bombing each other and talking to each other like, it, it's to me, it's insane. It's not how to, it's not how, what, a, I look at the culture and I go, we don't have a political problem. We've got a cultural crisis. Folks, listen, I believe that passionately. I'm not attacking these or ours. I'm looking at the country going, really? Everybody's got their own little pocket cancel culture. And, and listen, let me back myself up, Richard. One of the problems that I, I think both left and right grassroots have with leadership this is my opinion, but it's it's that they may not understand why these folks gravitate to leadership positions. First off, it goes to your point that that he was a, he was a deal maker. He he could sit down with opposition and say, "Okay, here's our box of gears. What can we make out of it?" I think that's a big deal. But the other thing is is that McConnell, along with McCarthy, along with an, a line of leaders um, from both sides, by the way. They were fundraising machines. That's what they did. And the reason that they were good at what they did is because, to your point, Richard, they were deal makers. And so the folks that want the country to keep going forward rather than getting lost in the partisan food fight, they want the country to move forward. They'll go to those guys as fundraisers and say, we're going to get some money to you. Make this thing keep working. Richard, so let me stop myself. Am I... What's your thoughts on that? Am I off the path on that? No, I don't think you're off the path, Mike. But before you say that, you know, you mentioned Mitch McConnell stepping down because you thought perhaps it was health issues. Yes. And I agree, I, I agree with you on that, but I I didn't catch that one right away because I've gotten to the point where old guys stumbling and mumbling and getting in the wrong place at the wrong time and falling over behind the podium, that's gotten to be so much part of Washington, D.C. I never thought of Mitch having health issues will go along with that. Um, I but in, 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 in response to your to your question, no, I think uh, I, I think we need the deal makers in Washington. I think that's what makes America work, and it's not just today. It's, that's that's the history of the United States, whether you go back to the founding fathers and every place in between. And um, the deal makers get things done, and they, and, they do. And it happens that way in business. It happens that way. You know, if if we were armchair quarterback in the Super Bowl, it's real easy to to to. to to come up with all the things the coaches should have done and the players should have done and the runs that should have been played. But the true fact is the guys that were actually running the plays and the, and the, and the athletes are a lot like the deal makers. They were on the, they were on the turf. They knew what they were doing. Uh, everything else is just chatter. Well, looking, looking forward, Richard. So my next question, the insider's guide to the McConnell succession race, all three are, and by the way, this is politico.com which when I say leans left, I'm being really polite because they need a kickstand they leave so far left. But their view of it, all three are white men named John. I, folks, I got to tell you something. I Let me pause my own self. When I read titles like that, I'm repulsed. I'm a meritocracy person. 
I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what your race is. I don't care what you do in the bedroom. I don't care about any of those things. I want the most qualified human being that we have sitting in these chairs. Why that's such, why it's all got to be politicized and painted up ugly and everything's got to be fit into somebody's agenda somewhere. Richard, that stuff gets so old and it's on the left and the right. Where are the reasonable people at, Richard? You know, I don't know, Mike, but I know that, uh, as you pointed out, political goes right after goes right after the three jobs. Yet in the same token, uh, I actually know Senator Thune. Um, I, I, I don't know the other two fellows that are there, but I know Senator Thune, and I, I, I suspect that just like the other two, he is he is an eminently qualified, very distinguished, very very respected and skilled statesman. Um, Senator right. Thune, by the way, the the, the, the John Thune I know has exactly the earmarks of Mitch, of, uh, of, uh, of the Speaker of the House that you were referencing with Reagan, of um, you know, that whole era gone by. So, I, I Listen, and by the way, folks, the list, to your point, uh, Minority Whip John Thune, uh, former Whip John Cornyn from Texas, and then GOP Conference Chair John, I'm not sure how to pronounce this guy's name, Barrasso, I'm probably coming close, Republican from Wyoming. Those are the three that that everybody is thinking are in in the run. The three Johns. I I don't. I, I tend to. I don't. You didn't actually say this, so I don't want to put words in your mouth. But of these three, I tend to lean towards Thune. I've met him, but I don't know him. I met him in a big lineup of people. So you shake three hundred hands, and that's how I met him. I don't have a relationship with him, but following his vote structure his reasoning, how he expresses why he's done things. I liked that. I thought in, it's a word that you used. It proves to our listeners that you're old because you cited, cited the fact that he's a statesman. I don't yeah. get to hear that word very often anymore, Richard. No, no, you don't. Uh, the word statesman is very seldom used. It's very seldom used in the, uh, in the far left side of the media. Um, but the word statesman is exactly what we look for when we elect people to the United States Senate, historically as well as, uh, yeah, it's where we should be. Right. John the, the Senate, John the debate club. Well, and listen, folks, the Constitution, the way our founders left us, the Senate is supposed to slow us down so that our legislative actions are not um, – it, it, reactionary they didn't want they wanted a slow moving government that was not reactionary and that's what the senate is supposed to do and we hear a lot anymore from the right and not so much the left but a little bit about what the founders fed said and what the founders did most of them were here's where i get in trouble most of them were career politicians and they were statesmen and of course i get that the populist rhetoric now says Get rid of them. If they've been in there too long, get rid of them. And I think, holy smokes, term limits have about flipped the state of Michigan, at least, upside down. I'd hate to see that on a uh, federal level. Listen, we're, we're on our way to a break, but I got to tell you, folks, when we come back, we're going to hear uh, a 60-second spot from me, and let's dive into a different topic. I think it's going to raise your eyebrows. I'm looking forward to it. Folks, we will be right back.
Folks, if you're just tuning in, I am Mike Hewitt, co-host Richard Housecamp. Man, I got to tell you, folks, we've got Richard Housecamp on today. It's a delight. It's it's personally, it's very special to me. Richard, I'm excited to have you on. I appreciate you. But listen, before before we move into the show some more, I got to point to all of the affiliates that we've got. First off, we're broadcasting from our flagship station, WHTC Holland, Michigan, which is 1450 AM, 99.7 FM. And and I got to tell you, we've got a whole bunch of affiliates carrying us across the United States. Folks, if you're hearing us either here at our flagship or any of our affiliates, you are absolutely listening to the finest radio station in your communities. We appreciate them. And even more so, we appreciate you. Thank you very, very much. Brian, will you do me a favor and play that 60-second spot for folks to hear? Mike Hewitt here. The coming ice age, global warming, climate change. Oh, brother. Are we living during a period of global warming? Yes. Is this an unprecedented event caused by humanity that can only be tamed by tax and regulation? Obviously not. Fact is, the global climate is naturally cyclical. In fact, there have been several mini ice ages and global warming periods just since the founding of America. None of that was affected by the combustion engine or a lack of regulatory bureaucrats and tax. Congressman McCormick asked the experts, what's the level of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere? They had no idea. The answer is 11%. He asked, what percentage of the carbon dioxide is humanity responsible for? They had no idea. The answer is 0.04% of that 11%. Understand? The fear peddlers are selling fear and trade for power and money. Don't buy their nonsense. Find the Mike Hewitt Show on Spotify and Apple Podcast. You'll be glad you did. So here's the thing, Richard. I'm listening to a, a reel that somebody sent me. In fact, I think it was Ludwig von Wiedendorski that sent me a reel, and it was of Congressman McCormick, and he's in a committee meeting, and he's asking somebody from the from the from one of the federal departments who's an environmental expert, and they're wanting some more regulatory controls to control carbon, and McCormick asks him, what's the current level of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere? And he gets deer in the headlight look. The guy that's an expert that's demanding more regulation doesn't have an answer to something that I think should be probably the most obvious question asked. Uh, and so the congressman looks it up quickly. It's 11%. And then he asks the expert, of the 11% carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, what percent is humanity responsible for? Deer in the headlights. The guy didn't know the answer. How do you go to a house? I, Richard, I don't understand these folks. I really don't. Are they, are they so arrogant that the facts themselves don't matter? That I can't imagine going to the U.S. House of Representatives on this topic and not knowing the basic facts. So the actual answer to what percentage is humanity responsible for of the 11% is 0.04%. Keeping in mind, folks, that without, and I don't know the math, I'm not before the U.S. House of Representatives, but I can tell you without carbon dioxide, there'd be a lot of stuff that didn't grow and we'd be all dead. There's a certain amount that's needed 
I tell you that because we got to start drilling down on some of these things. How many people die, Richard, if we drive our technology back to the Civil War era? Not the Civil War, the Civil War era. Let's get rid of everything, all combustion engines, all electric, all get, get it gone. Folks, how many people does that kill? Richard, help me understand. Is there a balance act here between what technology can provide versus what the Uber left thinks it takes away? Help me out, Richard. I think there's a, I think there's a balance act, but I also think there's a knowledge gap. And, and Mike, you know, a lot of times I hear numbers thrown around, especially by the ecology folks. I always have to ask, how did they get that number? Where did they come up with it? And, and Because the answer is never the same. When you talk to two or three of them, you get three different answers. But the carbon dioxide is, is, the, is the only food that plants eat, right? I mean, it's not the only right. food, but it's what the plants pull out of the air and convert into oxygen with the photosynthesis. And so the earth already has a filter for removing carbon dioxide and for making it into usable gases for life forms. When you drill into the numbers and we're responsible for 0.04% of the 11%, the difference being natural, and then I step back from that equation for a minute and I start looking at history. And like that 60-second spot says, we've had just since the founding of America, we've had both warming periods and many ice ages. This is not Mike Hewitt making it up. Even Google can't hide the truth on this. For those folks willing to say, I'm going to invest five minutes and go get the information, it's really, really accessible. And what, But what you learn when you do that is this stuff is really cyclic. And so I remember being on Lake Michigan for a lot of my life when I first moved. And Richard, you'll know this off the top of your head because of where you're from. When I first moved to Lake Michigan's area, I thought, I'm going to buy a boat. And I went out to the marinas where the people put their boats in the water. And the water levels were so far down that people had to get house ladders to lean in their boat to get up on the docks because the water level was so low. And and the screaming Mimi left were saying, all of the Great Lakes are going to be gone inside a decade because it's all being drawn down the Mississippi River and it's, it's terrible, it's terrible, we're all doomed, the sky is falling. Well, folks, within a decade, heck, within five years of that, I go down the exact same dock in my, in, my, in my sneakers. I'm splashing on water that's over the top of the deck. The, the dock, the same dock that you had to crawl down a ladder from, has now got water standing on it. So that caused me to start doing some research. It's about a 30-year cycle. And it's not from what happens in Michigan. It's what happens in, in Alaska and North. Richard, this stuff is so easily determined, but, but yet we use it as a food fight and we're controlling almost everything that we do in our country now is wrapped around the idea of something that isn't happening. It's just not true. No, I agree with you, Mike. I think it's. Uh, I think the it, it, no matter which area in the in the in the natural environment we talk about, or ecology, or any of the theories out there, I think um, I think it's become a it's it's become a weapon that's used to to push uh, to push points of view and to push uh, future development points of view. Point zero four percent carbon dioxide responsibility on the part of humans is pretty small. Well, 0.04 of 11%. I mean, 
I tell you well, that I got to end up with a number. That number is really small. Mike, you and I have had conversations before where um, we could pose we could pose some solutions to cut that 0.04% down further. Um, that would involve a, a number of folks that we know of who would have to hold their breath for so many minutes every day. But, um, yeah, the 0.04 of 11% seems like uh, seems like a pretty small number. Yeah, it, it, it's, folks, it, it, the, the question comes to my, it, I, I, I wrestle with this, I do on this topic, because I think, first off, we can't control it. The idea that we can control this is arrogance in the extreme. These things are beyond us. Like I talked about with Lake Michigan, it's a 30-year cycle. You can raise all the taxes you want. It's not going to change that cycle. You could raise all the taxes you want and hire all the bureaucrats you can find. It won't change the fact that we go through many ice ages and many warming periods. Very, very cyclic. You can put it, I'm old, so you can put it on an Excel sheet and measure it. We're down to 30 seconds, Richard. Final thoughts on that topic? Final thoughts are we can go through all of the, all of the, uh, all of the conservation and all of the carbon dioxide management tools in the last year, um, were wiped out. Yes, all the results were wiped out yesterday when the uh, when the volcano went off in uh, Mexico City. Right, um, yep. one volcanic eruption takes away. Yep, that's, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true, folks. Stay with us. We've got to go to a break, but we'll be right back. Richard, let me take us in a different direction. And don't don't roll your eyes at me when I start out with this way, but the title of this, this is from Newsmax.com. But folks, I found similar articles to this all over the place, both left and right. Their title at Newsmax, Hunter admits to $5.1 million shakedown test, claims he was high or drunk. That was his excuse. But that's not the important part, at least in my opinion. The rest of it goes on. Hunter Biden did not deny he shook down a foreign business client with his demand of $5.1 million payment. But his father, Joe Biden, was seated next to him. And wait a minute. So he was higher drunk. He's talking to a foreign leader. And the big guy is sitting next to him. I thought, well, the big guy, Joe Biden. The big guy lets you talk to foreign leaders when you're high or drunk and demand money from them. And he doesn't say, hey, you buffoon, give me the phone. What are you doing? Wow. <laughs> I mean, Richard, how do you get your head around this stuff? You know, that's the, the whole Hunter Biden and uh, and how it touches on Joe Biden and, and, and these two guys working. It almost reads like a uh, like a Saturday morning comic, doesn't it, Mike? It does, but... Listen, and I, folks, I gotta, I gotta preface this. I am not doing. He did it, so our guy can do it. I, I've already told everybody very consistently my position on Trump. I don't. I, I, I think what we're seeing is law, law, lawfare to use that term rather than more. I think the left is purposely, first off, trying to, trying to wipe out his cash supply. That, that said, 
when I compare what the judge in New York City did to Trump with a 350 some million dollar fine when there were no victims, the, the, the bank in Germany said, no, we got everything that we said we would get. He didn't lie, and it wouldn't matter if he did because we sent our own appraisers, and then he paid us every penny, and if, want, if he wanted more money, we'd be happy to do business with him again. And that judge, speaking of partisan judges, that judge said, oh, no, there was a victim, and the victim was New York City because all of the money that Trump made could have been used to help the poor folks in New York City. And I, and I, 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 when I'm reading this article about Hunter Biden, folks, I'm not trying to make this tip for tat. I'm really not. But when I read the article about Hunter Biden with $5.1 million of using our foreign power to hold people hostage from other countries, can you imagine what that does to the relationship between those countries and the United States of America when our vice president's son, the vice president sitting beside him, is working them for money? Folks, we look like we look like a banana republic. We look like a third world thuggery nation. And I think, okay, this guy is telling you he's admitting to the shakedown. I'm going, well, where is his outrageously punitive fine? How does that work, Richard? How do they penalize one guy to the point of eye-rolling? Even people that don't like Trump think, oh, no, that was a bridge too far. That's dumb. And then and then the same judicial, the same ju judicial body, branch of government. The, I, Richard, help me make sense of this. Mike, I think it starts with when you, you know, the, the equation you're looking for here is, is that when you throw out the law, and when you throw out all semblance of morality and character and integrity, then then what you're left with is is decisions where someone like a Donald Trump is 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 fined 355 million plus for for what what wasn't even a, a, a there, there were no victims and no crime, and right. and meanwhile you have uh, Hunter Biden who is committing extortion has committed extortion by all by all standards. And and has has used the United States government as his um, as his influence peddling tool um, that, that that comes from a, a just being devoid of any kind of integrity. And I think that's that's the, the social condition that you're looking at. I, I think you're exactly right. So, folks, when I say that this isn't political, it's a cultural crisis. I'm not trying to be sensational or surreal. That's what I believe. When, when both sides of the aisle, let me be candid, when both sides of the aisle cheer on judicial wrongdoings that take place on the opposite side, we become a part of the problem. We should, all Americans, when we see judgments that are clearly outside of the law, we as a citizenry, I passionately believe what I'm going to tell you. I believe that we, regardless of partisanship, have a civic duty to demand that these things be done properly. I don't think I'm overreaching with that, Richard. I don't think you are, Mike. I think, uh, I think it's time that we, that we start to demand that. Uh, I think we need to demand that of our judges. I think we need to demand that of our political leaders, regardless of what party they're in. 
Well, the, the guy's defense is that he was high on either crack or he was drunk. He's sitting next to the vice president. Of the <laughs> yeah, listen, if I wrote this down in one of my in one of my novelettes or my novels, people would be going, "Oh, Mike, that's stupid. You can't do that." But it's true. That's the part. But it's true. But Mike, and the left goes, we'll, "Oh no, let's argue about Trump." And the Secret Service will write a book. Oh my goodness, there's going to be some. Yeah, talk about the tell-alls coming out of what we're what we're witnessing. So speaking of Biden, I, and and I, I guess I touched on this early on in the show, but I'm deeply concerned about it, and it happens that this takes me back there. McCarthy details what Biden's really like behind closed doors, sticks to the cards, and and, and it goes on. I'm, I'm in fact this is from Fox Business, but again, I found it all over the place. Keeping in mind, I always multiple source these topics. Biden is the oldest serving president in American history. And let me reiterate what I said earlier. I'm a big Reagan fan. I am a Reaganite. If Miles were on, he'd be calling himself a Reaganista. We're huge Reagan people. Having said that, one of my concerns with President Trump is age. I know that Reagan was not the president he was in his first two years, in his final two years, because there's a certain human element to what's demanded of anybody. And I'm 63. Richard, you're just, just a little bit older than me. But if we both take a truth pill, I could not do what we're watching. Let's take Trump, because that's everyone's defense for him. This guy goes, 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 goes. He's constant on the go. I candidly, folks, I couldn't do that. But we're dealing with a man that if he's if he wins, He'd be 79 at Inauguration Day. We're watching Biden, who's falling apart on himself. I mentioned here a couple of episodes ago, I watched Senator Biden speak from the floor of the Senate. I compare that to him talking now. It's like a different human being. It's And, and by the way, I didn't, I know it's not, I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a human statement. He is in decline. And I look at Reagan, who was absolutely in decline in his final year to two years. And I look at Trump, my issue with him, my reigning, the, the top of my list of issues with him. Keeping in mind, folks, I told you, if he's the guy, I'm going to vote for him. But my big issue is age. Now, I, Richard, I don't know where you stand on age in terms of it. I don't know that I want a constitutional amendment, but I look to the people, us citizens, Democrats and Republicans, folks, don't get mad at me because I'm being honest here. I think two guys in their 80s, 331 million people, and this is the best we got. I'm just being honest with you. Richard, what say you? Well, Michael, you know, I, I look at ages, uh, and certainly I'm, I'm getting up there in years as well, but I look at age as something that different people carry differently. And I, I've, I've, I've had the good fortune in my life of knowing people who um, – got very old and were very articulate and very smart and had a lot of control of their faculties. Ronald Reagan did a, had had an amazing amount of intellectual ability in his later years. But, but but let me pose back a different question for you or a different side of this for you. You mentioned Joe Biden and you mentioned watching him and, and, and Donald Trump as well. But Biden certainly now as the president growing older, I would um, I would get you to point. I would see if you could see the difference in Joe Biden today versus just Two weeks ago, and 
four weeks ago and eight weeks ago. This is a this is an individual whose whose um, whose abilities seem to be changing, literally yep. month to month. And, He's in steep and, decline. And he is in steep curve. decline. Yep. Listen, we're we're out of time. Let me finish on this point, folks. When I look at Michigan's primary that just took place this past week, Democrats and Republicans, Trump or Biden, forget all of the sub candidates and no picking nobody, et cetera. The GOP turned out 31% more than the Democrats did. Folks, there's a measure of excitement on the right. Call it good or bad. It's the truth. Folks, thank you very, very much for joining us. Richard, thank you. Be safe, and we'll see you all next week.